1: Hello and welcome to Star Trek comic book review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 69 recorded December 22nd, almost Christmas, 2011. But released in February, exactly. almost springtime. Uh, oh, February still still winter. But yes. Yes, we thoughts both of spring in pretty coming states. Uh, yeah. I don't
0: think February is still winter time for either one of us. Uh, well.
1: Yes, we are in the uh, in the sun states. <laughs> we laugh at Winter. Ha ha!
0: Okay. Alright, so uh, what what we got on the docket today, Ken?
1: We have got some more Star Trek, the original series, Goodness, going with DC, issues 22 through 24, volume 2. We have a trio of issues that involve one of your favorite Star Trek auxiliary characters. Oh, Trillane? Almost it's a hairy mud ooh hairy mud ooh yes that that con man that swindler of the stars so we haven't you and
0: i have not had a hairy mud episode since uh, way back in episode what was that 29 when we did comic strip number 8 what a memory
1: <laughs> did, looked, did you look looked, that up in preparation for this okay good right good
0: I remember doing it. It was the episode where Mud buys that planet, and then it ends up being a big egg, and a, <laughs> a great bird of the galaxy flies out of it.
1: Which was kind of ridiculous, but I did like seeing the great bird of the galaxy. And I kind of liked, you know, Mud really losing in the end. Oh, badly. His
0: dishonesty led to his downfall. Because, you know, as I think I probably mentioned in episode 29, Harry Mudd episodes are some of my least favorite of
1: the original series episodes. Right, right. Yeah. I, I thought they were okay. I, thought, I always thought the character was okay. But, yeah. He's a, he's too
0: Weasley, too car salesman-y.
1: Well, he's a lot nicer guy in this one. They're really painting him uh, in the most positive light I've ever seen him painted in. Yeah, we'll talk about
0: it later. The uh, He does actually have some redeeming
1: qualities in these stories. Right. Especially the third one. Right. It was actually, it was a little, a little quite frankly, it was a little, a little sweet and sappy for my liking. But, um, but I, <laughs> overall, I, well, well, we'll talk about more, sure. more about it as we go into it. Sure.
0: So we're, we're flipping duties here due to some other things that we were recording. So you get to do two episodes this week. Exactly.
1: I get to do more synopsizing of Kirk and the crew as opposed to Picard and the crew. So, love them both. I guess I should just uh, kick off with issue 22. Let's do it. Excellent. It's uh, entitled Mission Muddled, and it was published August 1991. The writer is Howard Weinstein. Penciler is Gordon Purcell. Inker is Arnie Starr. Letters by Bob Panaha. Colorist is Tom McCraw. Editor is Robert Greenberger. The cover shows part of the Enterprise in a close-up with her in orbit around an orange planet. Below the Enterprise, and at a further distance into the foreground, is a purple and white ship that is reminiscent of the Delta Flyer from Voyager, which is being fired upon by a Klingon bird of prey, or some Klingon ship. The Starburst text cloud in the upper left says, You won't believe who's being chased! The return of Harry Mudd! Exclamation mark! Our story opens on Skelon 3, a sparsely populated world in non-aligned space. Chekhov and two of his security officers are walking through some seedy neighborhoods. They are on a mission from Kirk, looking for anything interesting or suspicious. Chekhov states that after looking down a dozen of these neighborhoods' alleys, all he has seen are interesting and suspicious things. As they continue to search for something really suspicious and interesting, they are observed. A human female with purple hair and questionable taste in clothing is addressing her companion, who she calls Socrates. Socrates is portly, and his face is obscured to some degree. He is apparently the brains of the nefarious outfit, though. He says that after they steal the treasure, they will use the Starfleet captain and vessel to make their escape from the current possessors of the treasure. Being Federation citizens on a neutral world, they will be duty-bound to protect them and whisk them away. As Socrates completes his explanation of the plans, we get a full page close-up of his face. Why, he appears to be none other than the wily Harcore Fenton Mud. High above the planet Skellen 3, the Enterprise orbits and Kirk records in his log. They are responding to a call for help from the largest settlement, which is a mining colony that has expressed interest in Federation affiliation. Kirk, Spock, and McCoy are talking about the call for help and why the Federation is so interested in lending aid to this particular mining colony in the middle of nowhere. Kirk explains the planet happens to lie between the Federation and Klingon frontiers, which makes it a very strategic location. Spock explains there are other settlers on the planet whose property claims are not clear, which may raise issues with the planet's future. Spock goes on to say there is only one other major settlement called the Circle who claim to be an agricultural colony. Kirk and Spock cast doubt on its real purpose due to climate and soil problems that make farming difficult and unproductive on this planet. Part of their mission is to see if they can confirm their doubts as to the real motives of the agricultural group. On the planet, Kirk and Spock meet with Mr. Jebitok who accuses the Circle of trying to force the majority mining colony off the planet through theft, sabotage, and even terrorism. Kirk and Spock ask him for proof and say even with it this planet is outside of Starfleet jurisdiction. Mr. Gibbetok even states that Klingons are operating covertly in the system and even on Skellum 3. Kirk objects, saying that this is the first they have heard of it. Jebatok is hopping mad since he told a Starfleet Admiral named Tomlinson face-to-face about this weeks ago. Kirk and Spock question why Tomlinson would withhold such important information in their briefing materials. On the Enterprise, Spock is reviewing images of a distant Klingon ship in a briefing room with the rest of the command staff. With enhancements they can see it is a Klingon ship but because Skellen is in open space, the Klingons have as much right to be there as the Federation. Since that is the case, why are they being so sneaky about their presence in system? Back on Skellen 3, Commander Chekhov, a lieutenant, and Ensign Michaels continue to walk through many alleys to the point that they enter an alley a second time. This time, however, something is definitely going on. Mudd's female confederate, Shiloh, is playing a pipe, and with it, charming a very dangerous four-headed firefang snake from Minnow Six. After her amazing performance, Mudd passes around a plate to gather the offerings from the large and entertained crowd. While Chekhov calls up to the Enterprise to check in, Mudd overhears him and recognizes the Federation ship and her likely captain. On the Enterprise, Kirk decides to contact the leader of the Circle agricultural colony named Ravia. She has the title of Domine. 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 We'll go with Domine. Before putting her through, Ahura warns her that she is a Nazgul. Rather than conflict that Kirk has come to expect from interactions with a Nazgul, Ravia turns out to be a Kirk fan. Even more surprising, she is the half-sister of the Sala. She is impressed with how Kirk stood up to the Sala, but disappointed that Kirk did not kill him when he had the chance. The Sala took advantage of the male-dominated Nazgul society to seize total control and cut Ravia completely out of power despite her being the eldest child of the former Sala. She left to start over again and make a new life for herself. After striking up an unexpectedly cordial relationship, Kirk tells Rivia of the mining colony's serious charges. She calls it a misunderstanding. Kirk proposes a meeting between the mining leaders and the circles leaders to clear up the misunderstandings, and Kirk can mediate. She quickly accepts. After the comm channel closes, Kirk says the call went well. In response, McCoy says it went too well. Meanwhile, in Ravia's quarters, her aide, named Zenayak, comments that the starship captain appears to be as dim as the miners. Ravia responds, saying that their plans may be easier to implement than they expected. Suddenly, a Klingon named Grax bursts into the room. The ill-mannered Klingon is in league with the Nazgul leader. They discuss the next shipment coming from Klingon space in five days. Ravia asks if the shipment can be accelerated when her aide comes in excitedly reporting the sacred Jahila has been stolen. Ravia crushes the drink glass in her hand. Her aide reports that a little alien workman was the last person seen near the Jahala, and he is missing. Nazgul agents are out looking for him. Ravia says in a cold, threatening tone that he had better be found or else. That little alien workman who stole the jihala named Vashi, is actually hanging out with Mud and Shiloh. They are discussing the jihala that is apparently the most sacred object in the Nazgul religion. Mud puts it in a bag as they discuss splitting up, getting the jihala to their impatient client, collecting their payment, and getting off the planet. Outside on the street, Ensign Michaels is enjoying a local food delicacy that Chekhov has brought him. When they spot a suspicious Nazgul activity, two large Nazgul agents have the thief Vashi and are interrogating him to talk while Mud and Shiloh run the opposite direction and make their escape. Mud and Shiloh arrive at the town docking facility where he orders her to pick the lock and get to their ship. Mud tells her to pick the lock to avoid drawing attention to themselves and avoid a porting fee a dishonest wretch in the small things as well as the large. When they enter the hangar, they find they are not alone. Ravia and the Klingon Grax are there next to a Klingon scout ship. Ravia is telling Grax if he can't accelerate the weapon shipments, she'll have to find someone who can. The Klingon preaches patience and speaks of a future new empire that they can build together that will wipe out the old order. Shiloh and Mud... Hear the whole thing, as Mud thinks hard how he can make a profit out of this information. Realizing the danger they are in, Shiloh and Mud move to get out quietly, but Mud ends up tripping and crashing into some crates. Grax hears it and starts shooting at them. Mud returns fire. As Ravia grabs a big rifle and joins Grax in the shooting, Mud shoots at a platform loaded with crates located right behind them. It comes crashing down and hits Grax and Ravia. Mudd and Shiloh make their break for the ship. In orbit, on the Enterprise, Sula reports shields just came up, and they are on yellow alert. He goes on to say two Scout-class vessels are coming up from the surface. One is shooting at the other, and the shooter is a, a pseudo-Klingon-designed ship. Kirk orders to intercept the ships. The Klingons hit Mudd's ship, and Kirk orders Sulu to fire a warning shot across the Klingon ship's bow. The Klingon ship veers off, and they bring Mud's ship into the docking bay via tractor beams. As Mud and Shiloh exit the ship, Mud kisses the Enterprise's deck as Mud's ever present hood is pulled back to reveal his face and head to Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. They are all surprised and shocked to recognize it's Harry Mud. To be continued. There you go. We have introduced all the characters <clears> on <throat> this play. All of them. All well, the major ones.
0: Yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah, yes. some of them are more major than others. Some of them have a big part here, then they they kind of just peter out in the next story. But we'll get there in a second.
1: Yes, yes.
0: So, uh, just real quick about the cover. Mm-hmm. Um, that little shuttle is really getting it, I mean, because he's getting hit with the phasers, and there's a photon torpedo right on its tail, yep so,
1: yeah and guy. and you can see that the ship has already been hit once, right, so it's some little little yellow uh shiny looking stuff coming off of the port nacelle
0: right it, it, it's a really cool shot, you know the angle of the enterprise and the right. the this action going on in the in the background. It's, it's right. I really like the cover. Yep.
1: Out of the three covers, this is my favorite. Huh.
0: Cool. Just 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 throwing it out there. Yeah,
1: I haven't really uh, compared the covers, but uh, yeah, that that's a good one. Yeah, right. well, definitely. Yeah, the second one just shows mud in the middle, not a big deal. And then the last one is just a melange of a whole bunch of people. I agree. <laughs> I like the first one best. Right, it's just a cool action shot.
0: Right. So uh, I had a question, and I didn't have time to go back and look. Is this the first time we've seen female Nazguls
1: um, as a main character? I think so. Okay. Now, but now, now could, could there have been one in the background or something without a speaking part? Right. Maybe, but I, I don't remember. I don't remember any females being in the Nazgul or the.
0: Like during the trial and stuff?
1: Right. Remember. Being in the party of the... Sala. Sala. That's it. I had a mental block on Sala for some reason. Yes. And it turns out to be his his, his sister. Sister. <laughs> that was actually kind of funny. That is. I mean, what are the odds? And then the odds that uh, she'd actually be a, a Kirk fan is really kind of funny. Right. I do like that they brought back the, the whole Sala storyline.
0: Mm-hmm. That you know, after the big trial, and then Sala walks off, and you think you probably never see them again, right? So it, I thought it was cool that they brought them back
1: for this uh, this trilogy of stories, right? Oh, it'd be it'd be a waste not to bring back a good villain like this. Well, Sala started off strong, and then
0: he he really became more of a slapsticky type character during the trial. <laughs> And then he just left, and then now right. he's coming back as, you know, he's he's an actual threat. Right. And then you find out that he's not really even the, oh, what, do we know that yet?
1: We don't know that yet.
0: Oh, never mind.
1: But su- suffice <laughs> to say, as these issues go on, uh, there will be revelations. Oh, yes, <laughs> there will be.
0: Well, just that, not obviously not all of the Nazgul blindly follow him as we were led to believe. I mean, obviously right. his
1: sister and her people don't follow him. Right. And when we first met him, there was some kind of a rebel guy. Um, yeah, but he was just told the to ship. die, and he did. I know, which is really ridiculous. <laughs> but but, but you're introduced to the idea that there is a rebel element. True. But, I forgot about that. But, you know, it's like, as far as you know, he's got total power. And, and whatever rebel element might be around, you know, could just be a pesky little thing. Um, right. It turns out to be bigger than that, but let's let's not get ahead of ourselves. Right. Uh, I thought uh, Shiloh is a, a cute young lady. Not crazy about her outfit, except that it is interesting. It looks like her belt has a similar buckle that almost looks like those like belly button monitor things that they used on the what? In the motion uh, on picture the, in the motion picture. Right. Exactly. So, so what
0: what do you not like about her outfit? I mean, I think they're they're trying to make her look kind of like a gypsy type. Yeah, I guess. Stereotypical character. I guess. And she has like the skirt and then her belly's exposed and then she has the little shirt and the, the beads and the, the big earrings. Yeah. I was definitely I just, getting a, a gypsy type vibe. Yeah,
1: kind of loose. A loose gypsy type vibe, yeah.
0: But her hair color never—I mean, it, it changed color from like purple to blue, depending on the panel.
1: Yeah, I think it was purple for the most part, it's but mostly in, purple.
0: On page yeah. eighteen, uh, it does suddenly change to a light baby blue, and then it goes back to purple on the next
1: page. Right. So it's just—I
0: guess this is just uh
1: miscoloring. I think so. Because uh, on that exact same page, it's both purple and light blue. Right. And speaking of miscoloring,
0: the uh, the female security officer that's with Chekhov, yes, sometimes she seems
1: to be Jeez. that gray color, like
0: Tomlinson exactly. was. then the other times, she's Thomason. Caucasian colored. Yeah. So I, I noticed that. I thought that was sure odd.
1: That. And what was her name anyway? I, I I thought they mentioned her name someplace. I know she's a lieutenant, but um, I went back to try to find it. I couldn't. Anyway, I don't know it is. Yeah, whatever. But, yeah, uh, in multiple panels, she's got that gray Tomlinson coloring. Right, which we now know Tomlinson is a Klingon. Klingon
0: agent. So he definitely looks like, you know, like the old school original series Klingon with the flat flat skull. So maybe maybe she is, too.
1: I don't know. <laughs> no, no, don't don't start putting that on me. No. <laughs> No, I just think it's a you've, nice got, you've got another story thread going here.
0: Well, they do bring opposing. up Tomlinson in this issue, so I thought that was kind of a cool yes. throwback to him. Kind yeah, of it is. Keep, it, keep him in your mind, too. So we got the Sala, we got Tomlinson, all from that last time we saw him was during the trial. Right,
1: and then we've got this rogue element um, gun Klingon seller guy.
0: Yeah, but he's a new storyline. We we've never been introduced to
1: this guy before, have we? No, no. And I wasn't saying he was. Uh, okay, no. I
0: was just I was just saying
1: I liked how they brought brought in those yeah. old characters. Yeah. Uh, cool. And I'm moving on just to say that we've got this guy, this privateer, or so he appears, who in the end, uh, as we'll find out, turns out to have a bigger connection to Tomlinson than we expect. Spoiler alert you know when I first saw Ravia's sideman like like number one Xnaak uh, right. and especially when they had the first close-up of him I thought Picard just because the guy's got you know bald head he's got this like metal plate around the around the back of his uh, side of his head that goes around the back kind of reminds me of Picard's donut hair you know a little, little little donut of hair and uh, of course he's got a red and black uh, tunic, <laughs> tunic on, on. So it's like, I'm looking at this and saying, well, of course it's not the card. Of course it's not. But it's like, in that, in that you know, one of those, like, first or second time you see the guy uh, close above him, it's like, I love it. It just makes, makes me think of him anyway. I just want to mention that. Yeah, I was thinking
0: more uh, Lando's, uh, oh, Lando's right. yep. assistant Lobot in Empire Strikes Back. Yep. Except this guy has, a, you know, a big long Fu Manchu type mustache. Yes.
1: <laughs> Indeed. What was, it? What was uh, Lando's
0: number uh, one? His, his, name? his
1: name was Lobot. Lobot. Mm. Yeah. That's good. That's good you remember that. Of course. Of course.
0: Everybody knows that. <laughs> What's funny is that we were talking about that at work today. Somebody was mentioning Lando's assistant, and I'm like, oh, you mean Lobot? And they were like, who knows that? <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's like, you didn't know that? <laughs> yeah, anyway. Exactly. And then I, they—I don't then, remember
0: the actor's name who played him, but uh, no, let's hope not.
1: <laughs> and then they'll go, "Who's the okay, Donovan? Who's the quarterback for uh, for the Denver uh, Broncos?" Ah, uh, isn't that Warren Moon guy? <laughs> Warren Moon. Oh my God. <laughs> no, I have no idea. That's it. That's you don't you don't know? <laughs> no. Who he's is get, he's getting a lot of uh, press right now. Tebow.
0: Oh, I didn't know that's who we played for. Oh, there you go.
1: Okay. We all have our specialties of knowledge. That's true. Yes. Okay. So, back to the story. Um, I thought it was interesting how the Enterprise's... Not not only did the Enterprise's shields come up automatically, but apparently the ship itself put itself on yellow alert.
0: Yeah, I thought that was another... Weird. I mean, that's happened before in the comic.
1: Well, Shields raising, but did it automatically put it on yellow alert? Maybe, but I don't remember that part. But Yeah, I don't remember either. Uh, and back then, when at least the Shields came up, it was like, you know, I never remember that happening on the show before, but that makes so much sense. It's like, you got sensors running, you got a computer on the ship. That means you have to have a human being inserted in the middle of it when you're detecting weapons fire. Not too far away from the ship. Makes sense. It makes sense, but Sulu needs something to do. <laughs> yeah, and th- this is pretty Chekhov heavy. The- these issues, not as much. I mean, Sulu Sulu says some stuff, but right, I mean, it's definitely more uh, Chekhov heavy.
0: Yeah, he's he's on the ground. Oh. Right. I-, I don't really know what him he, um- he and those first two guys are doing, except just walking around eating snacks at the the street <laughs> vendors. <laughs> And watching snake charmers, so I don't really know what they were looking for, but uh yeah they're they're doing something
1: yeah they're they're looking for interesting and uh suspicious things, yeah,
0: I thought it was funny that that one guy was spending so much time focusing on food, the
1: food, well, I guess they just wanted to flesh the character out a little bit, give him yeah. something to say, and he is a red shirt, so I hope nothing happens to him later. Oh right, literally, right, right. So he's got the uh, the tunic or the 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 red turtleneck.
0: Not only that, but he's also a random security guy that we've never seen before. So right, he okay. fits the mold of red shirt in every way possible. True. So we'll keep an eye on him. Maybe something.
1: And he's big, and he's kind of dumb. Perfect. Maybe he'll break the mold. He may survive. We'll he may see. Not, he may not get a lerp in the chest. Okay. <laughs> But we can always hope. So my last comment for this issue is uh,
0: Vashi's eyes. Okay. Did you, uh, you didn't make a comment of that during the synopsis, did you? I, I did not. It? Yeah. So uh, he has, uh, like, gem eyes. Like they're made out of crystal or something. Did you get that vibe? Especially on page 18?
1: Um, I am actually... Scanning, and now I will go directly to to page eighteen. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, it kind of looks like the top of a of a diamond. Only it's oval. Right, right. Yeah, good point. No, I really I, th- I thought that noticed. was interesting. I just thought he had weird eyes. I didn't look close enough, but yeah, they kind of look like they have facets, kind of, sort of. Right. And do you, do you have the idea that uh, that he kind of has a thing for Shiloh? <laughs> you think so? I th- yeah. It, there's a little subtle thing there. Oh uh, well, I don't know.
0: I guess so. He is happy that she's touching his arm.
1: Yeah, she yeah, he's kind of a weird guy, quite frankly. But <laughs> um Well I hope nothing bad happens to him. He was getting kinda of beat up at the end of this one, so Yeah, you never know. Because of course if he does blow the whistle on Shiloh and Mud, that will sick Revia right on him. You mean Socrates? <laughs> Socrates, yes. Oh, Socrates. Yeah, I think as soon as they start showing him... I mean, you knew it was mud right off the well, bat. Well, it tells but... you on the cover it's going exactly. to be... Exactly! I mean, they, they make it seem like this big surprise thing. That, oh, you don't find out about until the very end. You know? <laughs> when he when he ta- finally takes off that stupid hood. And it's like, come on! Yeah. I mean, the cover, look. that That, that ruined it right there.
0: Eh. Well, we've this. said that before. A lot of times, the...
1: The cover gives away the big reveal at the end of the book. Sure, and maybe the uh, the writer of the book is not always thinking about what the cover is going to be like, right? And what the marketing folks are going to want to do out to make you uh, pick up that magazine off the rack. True. Of course, if if they didn't mention it was a, a mud story, you might be a little bit. You personally might be a little bit more up for it. Yeah, exactly. He is my favorite. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey uh actually um uh, i got one other thing what? on uh page nine yeah did you see uh an elvis sighting
1: oh no not elvis uh i did not spot elvis Alice.
0: and a unicorn on the same page
1: oh <laughs> i gotta go back to that <laughs>
0: Uh, so the middle oh, panel oh. has a guy that looks a lot like Elvis. Not not spot on, but Elvis-esque.
1: Actually, he looks a little bit more like Bruce Campbell <laughs> playing <laughs> playing the king in uh, Baba Hotep.
0: Right. And then the panel right above Elvis' head has that unicorn looking yeah,
1: it also right. looks like a it also looks like like a yak or something with a unicorn, right, with, with a with unicorn horn right. right, anyways, I thought it was
0: funny, and the back the back advertisement on the cover is bill and Ted's bogus journey bogus which obviously my socrates uh comment earlier was a reference to bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Ah. And this episode this episode is episode 69, which is the number that Bill and Ted knew that the future Bill and Ted was Bill and Ted because they both all guessed the same number. So
1: we are in a Bill and Ted uh,
0: episode here. Oh, my God.
1: Okay, so we got Bill and Ted references. I guess that means it's time to wrap up this issue. What
0: do you think? Right. And maybe we can even go back in time later and re-edit this. You know, like Bill and Ted.
1: Oh, my God, yes. Cool. <laughs> All right. Did, did I'm sorry. you like that movie? I I thought the movie was good. It was okay. It was just I just I just gotta say okay.
0: Well, you g I was younger when it when than you were when it came out, so I mean that was my I, I was the age age range that they were aiming for on that one. Right. <laughs> cool. I was I was what, a freshman in high school when that movie came out. Right. All right, you wanna jump into the next one?
1: I think we should do that. Or, okay.
0: Issue number twenty-three. This one is entitled "The Sky Above, the Mud Below," and uh, most of the staff is the same, except for the inker is Carlos Garzon instead of Pablo, who, who did the first one. So the cover starts off with a it's it's kind of like a, a a banner of some sort. The background is the background's a banner made up of three vertical colors. So there's the outside uh, colors are blue, and then the inside is a strip of white. And the white has a bunch of uh, Starfleet Enterprise logos all over it. Um, kind of, lo- like I said, looks like a, a flag of some sort. And then superimposed above this, this flag is a large picture of Mud, Harry Mud. And he's kind of pointing towards the reader. And then uh, surrounding this picture of Mudd is uh, four smaller circles, and in those circles we see Spock, Kirk, McCoy, and Chekhov. And I think that this is probably an homage to the Uncle Sam Wants You posters from uh, World War II, if I was guessing. Or at least that's the feeling that I was getting. So the story starts off uh, within the Enterprise shuttle bay. Chekhov is calling Mudd some very unflattering names. Harry's young companion, Shiloh, is a little confused since she only knows him as Socrates. Kirk informs her of his real name and starts listing some of his uh, faults, such as Thief, Conman, Liar, Rogue. Uh, none of these other ones seem to faze her. She was just surprised that uh, she didn't know his real name all this time. And then Harry introduces her to the crew and he states that she is his protégé. Kirk tells them that as soon as the shuttle is spaceworthy, they are getting kicked out. And then Mud, looking very sad and worried, says, If I go back out there, they will kill me! A short time later, Mud and the crew are in the lounge area with the large steering wheel that we saw in Star Trek V. There he tells them that the only reason he's being attacked is that he overheard Ravia and the Klingon arms dealer. Mud says that he would be willing to bear official witness... To what he had overheard. In exchange for some protective custody. Back on the planet. An enraged domain Revia. Is speaking to her lackey. I didn't write his name down. Forgot it. Anyways. So she's speaking to her lackey. About the missing artifact. And that she knows that Mud, Who she still calls Socrates. Is aboard the Enterprise with the relic. The two of them leave her office. And they meet up with two guards. Who have been beating up on poor Vashi. He he is so battered that he cannot even stand on his own, but he has still not told them anything about his involvement with the missing relic. Ravia tells him about the importance of the Jaila, uh, that's the name of the relic, how it is passed from Sala to Sala, and when her father died, it was stolen by her half-brother, who then claimed himself to be Sala. And without it, she cannot overthrow her brother and claim the Sala ship herself. But he still refuses to tell her, so she says that she's going to kill him. And then he kind of sm- smugly says his, her mind control doesn't work on him. And then she just pulls out a gun and shoots him square in the chest. So that's it for Vashi. In the mess hall, Mudd is eating some donuts while he and Kirk are having a little chit-chat to catch up on current events. Mainly, Kirk tells him about the events of Star Trek II, Star Trek Three, and Star Trek IV. Uh, Mudd seems surprised to learn that the ship is actually not the original Enterprise. And then he claims that the two of them are not all that different. Mudd then gives a little background on his and Shiloh's past and how he thinks of her as the daughter he never had. Kirk then leads him away, and they go to the transporter room where they beam down to the planet. Once they're in the warehouse, Mudd shows them where he was and how he and Shiloh escaped. But all the evidence has been removed, and there's no proof that Rivia was meeting with the arms dealer. Sometime later, Kirk, Chekhov, and Mudd are meeting with the mining colony manager, Jebitok. There, the manager introduces him to the assistant manager, Maria Martinez. She explains that she has learned of the stolen idol that Rivia is searching for and its religious significance. Mud denies knowing anything about its disappearance. Maria then tells them that Rivia is accusing the mining colony of being part of this conspiracy and that she's willing to go to war for it. Kirk tells them that he can offer assistance, but he cannot just give weapons to the colonists. Kirk and Chekhov speculate that the Klingons are supplying the Nazgul with weapons for future conquests. Talk suggests that they investigate an abandoned mining site. And then Kirk tells him that they'll meet back in the morning and they can travel together to investigate. Aboard the Klingon ship that the arms dealer was on, his name is Captain Grex, they're re-entering Klingon space. And as soon as they enter Klingon space, they find another Klingon ship on an intercept course. They try to alter course without looking too suspicious, but to no avail. Commodore Kesri, who's commanding of the other ship, uh, is not fooled, and he fires on the arms dealer uh, when he tries to flee. The next morning on the planet, Kirk and the Enterprise crew beam down to meet with Maria and find out that Jebatok has already left earlier that morning. And he said that he would meet them at the mining site. Kirk makes a call to the Enterprise, and they all beam to the mining site. As soon as they rematerialize, they notice Jebatok's dead body near his car. To be continued. Aha! Uh-huh. A murder! A murder most foul. Indeed. So we didn't really talk about Jebatok much in the last issue, but I kind of like his design. He's he's
1: a (laughs) turtle looking dude. He he looks like Mr. Toad or something. And and when he gets excited, he's like jumping up and down and he's very animated. Or, I mean, well, as animated as you can get from a a static comic book. Right. Uh, Yeah, it's funny
0: that you mentioned the Mr. Toad because they're on page 20 when he's talking. He looks a little too much like uh, I guess it's Mr. Toad. Was he a Looney Tune character?
1: Um... I don't think it was Looney Tunes. I think it was a, it was a traditional. Uh, well, there might have been several different Mister Toads. Okay. There is definitely one Mister Toad that's a little bit older. It, I mean, it goes back a ways. Um, where it was just like a cartoon kind of thing.
0: Right. Well, whatever the characters, he he reminds me of somebody there on page right. twenty, and I I was thinking I he looks a little too cartoony here, but but yeah. everywhere except for page twenty, I thought he actually looked
1: kind of believable yeah i thought he was fine uh (laughs) you know at first when i saw him it was like hey it's a toad guy (laughs) it's a toad guy is running this thing and it's like well it's not a line space i mean could be anything doesn't have to be human so right i thought it was cool yeah i thought it was funny where shiloh seemed so surprised about mud mud's name not being socrates right i thought that was kind of funny and, of course, that that immediately ha- had me thinking, well, who, how do we know if even Mudd's his right name? Yeah, that's and, a good point,
0: because Kirk even says, as far as I know, his name is Harry yeah.
1: Finton Mudd. Exactly, and, and I like how Kirk did that, or how he was written to, written to do that. Right. Because, uh, I mean, the thing that immediately came to my mind, I mean, Kirk said, it was like, oh, yep, Let's see, <laughs> he's a liar and a swindler. How do we know we ever heard his right name? Yeah, that's a good point. Anyway, uh, she she just seems extremely. She seems almost too naive, and too nice, to be caught up in uh, in swindles and stuff. Well, she's not all that nice, as we'll see later. Well, but okay, so we'll see what happens, and then you know, as as Mud talks about their history, right? She seems like the
0: little orphan kid that
1: he picked up, and he feels sorry for, and he's grooming her to. Take his place because he doesn't have any type of legacy. Sure, and that's the way it turns out in the end. But I'm thinking to myself, they're both grifters. So, I don't know, if, have you ever seen that movie, The Grifters? I have not. That is a very cool movie. And if you you, you see that on Netflix or something, watch it. It's a really a good movie. But, right. it, it, I mean, that's all about uh, Cusack. His character is a second-generation grifter. And the mom... Is is a swindler too, and then he gets involved in, with Annette Benning uh, as a girlfriend and stuff, and then she's a grifter. And the thing is, you never know when they're gonna, you know, messy, you know, screw each other over uh, on on their swindles and stuff. So I'm thinking to myself, this kid is just too sweet. I mean, <laughs> a, 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 and and Mud says at one point, um, she swindled me, and so I knew she was great. So I was like, well, I'm thinking to myself, is Harry just getting lulled into something here? And this, this, this chick's actually playing him too. I was thinking about all these, these things that could be going on in the storyline. Uh-huh.
0: Well, that was definitely what I was thinking too. I kept thinking, you know, he's really falling for her, her sweet, sweet act. And that we'll really see her stick it to him at
1: the end. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah, okay, so cool. So we were thinking the same thing. So, yeah, we'll, we'll let's we'll see let's, what happens, though. Let's see what happens, though. She seems awfully sweet now.
0: <laughs> so, uh, did you find it odd that Kirk and Mudd would have this one-on-one conversation and Kirk would just, let me tell you what's happened to me since we last met Mudd. You know, Spock's died. He came back. We blew up the Enterprise. It's We got a new one. Yeah, <laughs> uh, It just seemed, <laughs> I was like... Is that the kind of stuff you would really tell the person that you know is a complete liar and
1: con artist? And, yeah. Well, I, just, it's, I, it's, thought it's, I thought that was funny. Yeah, especially at one point in the past, he was very willing to leave you stranded on a planet. <laughs> while he ran off with the Enterprise and a bunch of robots. <laughs> so...
0: You know, and also to be nitpicky, how how does he not remember his time aboard the Enterprise A in uh, you know Star Trek Volume One, Issue Number Thirty Nine Forty? That was released by DC
1: Comics. I mean, how does I... he
0: not remember this? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Continuity is not oh. necessarily an absolute in comic book land.
0: Yeah, we really need to read those because in that one, the uh, there's this great scene where the Enterprise is kind of converted into a medieval castle. So Oh, god, literally yeah. the 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 saucer section of the enterprise has, you know, these towers and flags and moats and stuff. <laughs> it's very bad. That sounds really bad.
1: <laughs> it is. Oh maybe, my god. Maybe that's bad. why he
0: doesn't remember it, but but I <laughs> sure as hell remember it. <laughs> yeah,
1: I I think about it far too often. Luckily, uh, Weinstein skipped it on this one.
0: And what's bad is that the, that those two stories uh, from Volume One are written by uh, I always pronounce his name wrong, I guess. But Lin Wen, the uh, oh right, the writer, he he oh. also created Swamp Thing. I mean, he's oh, right, written a lot of really good stuff. But but not that those two issues are not his best.
1: Mm. Yeah. Sometimes you just phone it in from the office. I don't know. Yeah. So. <sighs> so uh handy that shiloh has a knack with electronics yeah to give mr scott a run for his money as he, well as he says mud's comparing her to scotty and it's like really come on she'd be pretty doggone good to you know to be running with the scottmeister i don't think the, so the miracle worker the medical worker yes now uh, is
0: shiloh human i meant to
1: ask you that earlier uh except for the hair color she looks like she's human
0: But, I mean, hair color can
1: be dyed.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I was just wondering, I mean, if she was human, she's probably at least heard of Socrates. And so maybe that name shouldn't have really surprised her all that much.
1: Well, you know, Socrates is not exactly a common name these days, but, But, you know. Exactly, but most people know
0: who Socrates was, or at least know... That he existed at some point and is, you know, a pretty famous person in history. Yep. Whether
1: you know exactly what he did or not. Right. Of course, that's now for us today. And it seems like... And she did a lot of reading, though. She's only 19. But she does say that she's done a lot of reading in her day. Right. So she's learned a lot of things. But I guess she just didn't read a lot of philosophy books. And maybe Socrates comes back in popularity as far as the name. You never know. You never know.
0: Maybe when Bill and Ted, uh, the remake, comes out
1: in <laughs> you know, a, couple, a couple hundred years, it'll become popular again. Perhaps. <laughs> <coughs> because a fine, groundbreaking film like that. It deserves a comeback every once in a while. It, they should just remake it every once in a while. A new cast.
0: There you go. Keanu's too old. Actually, they're making a new one now with Kiana.
1: Don't... <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So this is supposed to be Bill and Ted after they they got mortgages and kids or something or Right,
0: cuz you know the whole premise of Bill and Ted was that in the future they become these these instruments of world peace. Oh yeah. And so they got that in their head back, you know, when they were high school age and now this movie's, you know, they're in their 40s or whatever and yeah. and none of this miraculous stuff's ever happened. They're, you know, they're not this huge, you know, they didn't change the world like, like the future they saw, so it's it it's, has a cool premise. I don't know if they'll ever actually make it, but right. uh, I, I read an interview with Keanu Reeves, and he was pretty excited about the, the script and stuff.
1: How could? Well, that's what matters.
0: So, Have anyways, this is not a Bill & Ted Excellent Adventure
1: podcast. No, it isn't, but we keep getting drawn back to it. It's funny.
0: <laughs> so, uh, just – just real quick, on the cover, did you notice that uh Harry Mud does not look like Harry Mud does in the rest of the story? True. So the Harry Mud on the cover is bald on top and he has a full beard whereas the Harry Mud in the rest of the story just has a big mustache and a goatee.
1: Yeah, and he's got more head hair. Yeah, oh that's what I'm yeah, I meant to say. Yeah, yeah he has a full head of hair. Yeah. Of course, in both cases, he's got kind of like the graying temples and stuff. Right. Um, yeah, his mustache in the book reminds me more like a, like a brown haired Colonel Sanders kind of. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, hair thing. it
0: doesn't have the big handlebar with the little twirl at the end. Exactly. Like it does on the cover.
1: Right. Yeah, different artist. Yeah, just thought it was funny. Yeah. How about at the end when Chekhov is stealing McCoy's tagline? He is dead.
0: Well, that, that was Chekhov, wasn't it?
1: That was Chekhov. Of course, he didn't say, He's dead, Jim. No, Jim he part. said, Kipton, he is Kip- dead. Kipton. Yes, yes, Chekhov. Good point, but I don't think you're quite qualified for that. Bones, get over there. I don't think Bones is there. Do your line. Well, beam him down. <laughs> Just to give the line? Do, do, do your do your thing. <laughs> It's a patented line. The, the folks love it. <laughs>
0: well, well, on that page, what I wanted to talk about was the manager's all-terrain vehicle.
1: Oh, oh I'll have to jump to that. I she, didn't notice she much sa- about it.
0: She says, that's one of our all-terrain vehicles. And then yes. it kind of shows it, and it looks like a you know 1970s-type car with these huge headlights and a big chrome bumper. And I'm like, Yay. is that really an all-terrain vehicle? I want to see something with big wheels, like the tumbler or something like that from <laughs> Batman. Yeah, not a you know, not a. Well, you, you know, only see... or Something.
1: Well, is there a better shot of it than uh, than that one little? You only see part of it,
0: right? On know, the last the page. Front. No, I think that's the only time you ever
1: see it. Okay. Yeah, it does kind of look like a uh, a chrome bumper, and <laughs> although is that is that foliage that happens to be the same color as the car? Of the all-train vehicle? Mm. I think think it's miscolored foliage. Yeah, it's miscolored foliage. Mm.
0: Yeah, otherwise it might have like a big drill bit or something coming out of it. Uh,
1: It is a mining (laughs) car, after all. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Anyways. Uh, I thought the way the Enterprise was drawn on top of page 18 didn't look quite right. There was just something weird about the saucer section. Page 18. Indeed. Like, the saucer section's too narrow or something? I don't know. It just doesn't look quite right. Yeah, I guess so. It, it doesn't have any texture. It looks very smooth. Yeah, well, that's true. But...
0: But, yeah, I see what you're saying.
1: Yeah, other than that, the, the Enterprise looks pretty good in these. Yeah, absolutely. And other ships look pretty good, too.
0: Yeah, I like how they draw the arms dealer Klingon ship to be just slightly off... Right, because it's a variant of the right uh, bird of prey. I, I, I thought that was a nice
1: nod, you know, a nice attention to detail. Right, it is kind of weird though that it's kind of like has a shark fin on the top, and like it's got like uh, dorsal, what, like, guns like or skid pads or something. Oh, are those guns? I don't know. Oh, 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 dorsal. Okay, top back. Right. Oh, that's a gun thing. I mean, it oh, looks I like I don't know what it is. It, it looks like a uh, like a, like a shark fin or something. Yeah, it does. Um, and then then the skid pads on the bottom. It looks like a bottom of a helicopter or something. Interesting. Yeah, well, yeah who knows? But but it does kind of look like a bird of prey. Yeah, you know, the general configuration, but the, in the details, it is different. Yes. Yeah, I was just disappointed in that.
0: He just gets you know shot out of the sky real real quick here on page twenty two and right. It seemed like he was going to do more. Right. But his name of the ship was Kapla, or at least the Commodore's ship was Kapla. I thought that was that was odd. Doesn't that mean, like, well, hello?
1: <laughs> or, or goodbye or something. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's some kind of generic thing. Right. You want it to be
0: called something majestic, not howdy.
1: Yeah, because there is a spot where somebody's talking to the Commodore, and he says affirmative, kapla. Oh, that's right. Oh, so maybe that wasn't the
0: name of the ship. I thought that he was saying. I thought that it was them replying to the ship.
1: Oh, maybe I took it you, as just you might be right. You might be right, like Kirk said or something when he was faking Klingon or something.
0: Right. It might be that he's just saying affirmative, kapla. You're right. I, I thought it was affirmative, and then he was addressing the ship's name because right. it was kind of in the same See font that. as
1: their ship's name. But right, right, you're
0: probably right.
1: How'd you like the RJ Blaze lookalike in this issue? Oh, you mean Marie, uh, Maria? Maria. A I, nice, lo- a nice-looking brunette, nice shape, and she's, uh, she's got fairly she's, stylish outfit on. She's younger than RJ Blaze, though. Yeah, I think so. There, I they mean, her her hair is black. There, there's no. So so were you expecting Kirk to make the moves on her? I mean, he did ask her if she wanted something to eat. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, but in some of the shots, it was like, oh, you're you're kind of R.J. Blaze-ish. All right. <laughs> cool. I never got that
0: vibe, but I definitely see what you're talking about. Yeah. I oh, oh, keep and waiting I'm, and for I'm... him to
1: put the moves on Shiloh. Oh, oh, boy. Wow. Would he be robbing the cradle then? Well, he he put the moves on McCoy's daughter. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> true true and she went for it yeah she was going for it <laughs> he is the kirkmeister after all her way with electronics though shiloh's right it's like they were making such a big deal about it i mean it's like okay that has to come in later i was thinking to myself you know they're going to use that somehow and uh, indeed as we'll find out she does
0: well don't give away too
1: much Ken. in the next issue well, why don't we just go ahead and jump
0: to the next issue, unless you have anything else? I. Oh, I thought you were setting me up for a nice segue.
1: I, I was. I was setting you up for a segue. <laughs> I don't mean to be cutting you off. No, no, I was setting you up for the segue. So segue away. I did segue. I said, "Let's get into it." Perfect. Okay, okay. so the last issue is issue number twenty-four, and the name, the action pack name, is Target Mud. And it's okay. a short one. Uh yeah, it's a short title and uh, oh, yo, know, the comic. Yes, <laughs> the comic itself says that it is a 40-page epic. 40-page epic. Of course they've got some filler pages in there towards the end, but it's it's longish. It's got a lot of ground to cover to wrap up this uh this the, this this three-issue story arc.
0: Now, there's actually 40 pages of comic before they get into that other stuff at the end.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay, so it really was as long as it seemed. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, this one was published October 1991. Everybody's pretty much the same. Howard Weinstein and company. Arnie Starr is the inker. Was it, was it the inker that was different between this and the last one? Yes. Yeah, Carlos did the the previous one. Okay, so we got Arnie back for issue 24. And everybody else is the same. The cover is a busy one with many people and ships on it, with a text sidebar on the left telling you all the cool things inside the issue. This is a 40-page epic issue. Kirk and Spock's heads dominate the center of the cover. The Sala and his sister are to their right, just below a Klingon battlecruiser. On the bottom is Harry Mudd and his female companion, Scotty and the Enterprise, and, uh, like I say, a lot of stuff going on here. Oh, and McCoy is with, you know, the terrific trio. It is really dominating the middle of the uh, alpha cover. The title page is a single full page, which shows the site of Manager Dibbatoch's death. The pleasantly hot Maria Martinez, who is stylishly dressed, a la R.J. Blaze, is on the left. Kirk is next to her, draping a white sheet over Jivetok's head and asking Chekhov if the murderer left any trail. Chekhov, standing next to Kirk, says whoever the murderer is, they left no trail. We see the back of Spock and two security men uh, in the foreground. Kirk says they may not find a trail here, but he believes they will find it elsewhere, and it will lead directly to Domine Ravia and her circle. They beam back to the Enterprise where Kirk and Ms. Martinez talk about her concerns that since she is now the mining manager, she might be the next murder target. Kirk offers her a security detail when she returns to the surface. She tells Kirk she did not know what Jebitok was going to show them at the abandoned mining site. In response to Kirk's question about why the site was abandoned, she tells him enough suspicious deaths and strange accidents happened there that Jebatok thought it was too dangerous to have a mining site so far from the main colony. Maria tells Kirk Jebatok was notorious for being disorganized, but they did but he did keep all his notes on his personal computer. When she says she has no access to it Kirk offers Ohura to gain the needed access. Later in Jebatok's office Ohura begins transferring his files from the computer to her tricorder for later analysis on the enterprise while she is working she chats with Maria and finds out Maria is a geologist who focused on managing the actual mining operations while Jebatok took care of the politics With the transfer complete, Ohura leaves for the Enterprise to start the analysis. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise, Shiloh and Mud are in their quarters. Shiloh is playing the same flute she charmed the fire snakes with, and Mud asks her whether he will find himself sleeping like the snakes. She says as long as the encephalic, trace circuitry is not turned on, he will not fall asleep. Apparently, technology is behind her snake charmer abilities. The flute can tranquilize or stimulate specific parts of the brain depending upon how she operates it. Mudd is frustrated with how little he understands of what Shiloh just said, and she does admit to being a voracious reader that wanted to be a doctor or a bioengineer or something. She wonders how she became what she is, given her original dreams. Mudd displays uncharacteristic fatherly concern for the smart and lovely 19-year-old. He gives her a pep talk, saying she is young enough that she could become anything she wants, and that he is her family. While she weeps tears of encouragement with his words, Harry says they will be off the Enterprise when the time is right, and the price of the Jahala will buy them a good future. Kirk records his captain's log, stating the results of Uhura's research into Jebatok's computer. He was inordinately interested in the site of the abandoned mind, but why was not clear in the computer records. Spock reports he may have found root of Jebatok's interest. A massive underground complex that appears to be largely empty is near the site. Kirk, Spock, and Scotty beam down to check it out. In the hidden complex, they find many empty storage areas that Spock conjectures might have just been emptied or is being prepared to be filled. The three split up to search for more clues. Scotty, relatively quickly, calls for them, saying that he found something. Scotty found part of a shipping container with partial Klingon writing on it. Kirk says this helps to link the Klingons to what is going on here, but he needs more proof. Back on the Enterprise, Kirk and McCoy voiced their theories that Ravia and the Klingons were storing arms in the underground facility. Jebatok accidentally discovers it when they open up the new mining site nearby. Ravia removes the arms to avoid their discovery. Jebatok shuts down the new mining site to avoid Ravia's suspicion. Jebatok's repeated snooping trips to the site finally causes Ravia to bait him out and kill him. Spock pokes holes in the theory due to it all being based on circumstantial evidence and the fact there is much they do not know like who really was to meet Jebatok when he was killed. Kirk says Spock is right and observes that Ms. Martinez has been very quiet during the conversation. She says she does not know what happened but that she does know that if they do not figure it out soon, the situation between the mining colony and the circle will explode. While Ahura and Sulu are talking about the extreme lengths Revia is willing to go to to get the Jahala back, Harry and Shiloh overhear them. Mud tells Shiloh that rather than selling the Jahala to the Sala, I love saying that, they could make more off of Revia. Shiloh starts pouting, saying a deal is a deal, but Mudd says a deal is what you make it. Later in the transporter room, where Scotty is working with Tuchinsky on repairs, they hear flute music that entrances Mr. Scott. He finds that Shiloh is the source in an adjoining room. Scotty invites Shiloh into the transporter room to play while they work, which is exactly what Shiloh and Mud want shiloh turns her flutes and cephalic i'm not sure if i pronounced that right trace circuitry on and sets it to tranquilize in minutes scotty and the others are sleeping sweetly mud enters the room and asks shiloh to transport him to the planet he says if he does not come back to go ahead with the original plan Shiloh shows great concern but mud assures her he is not so easy to get rid of just ask kirk energize on the bridge Chekhov reports that mud is missing Kirk orders a search then attempts to contact Scotty after unsuccessfully checking multiple places and a ship-wide call for him to report to the bridge he and Spock head down to the transporter room when they get there they find Scotty and the others sleeping they find out Shiloh's flute playing caused it and Chekhov reports that mud is definitely not on the ship in Ravia's evil lair, she is accusing Mud of being a spy and telling him he's as good as dead. Mud pulls his ace card and tells her he is the only one in the galaxy that can get her the Jabba Hala back. <laughs> oh, I love pronouncing that. <clears throat> Meanwhile, in the conference room on the Enterprise, Kirk and Spock are trying to get Shiloh to tell them where Mud went. Shiloh claims ignorance and finally says she can't tell him. This is Mudd's last big score before he retires, and he can't retire if he's broke. Kirk tells her if Domine Ravia gets her hands on him, he will be as good as dead. Kirk finally talks Shiloh into spilling the beans. Kirk is amazed that Mudd had somehow managed to concoct a plan that would offend both the Sala and the Domine. Spock moves to begin using the ship's sensors to look for mud at the Domain's headquarters, but is stopped when the ship is rocked by apparent weapons fire. They get to the bridge where Sula reports a Nazgul warship just arrived and started shooting without a word. Shields were raised in time, so no damage so far. None other than the Sala is on the ship, and he hails them. The Sala threatens Kirk to stay out of his dealings with an earthworm named Socrates. Kirk tells him Socrates is a Federation citizen and is subject to Starfleet protection. The Sala gives Kirk a friendly warning not to lower his shields, since he has been warned. Spock reports he has located Mud still alive in Ravia's headquarters, but they can't beam him up with the shields raised. Shiloh pleads with Kirk to beam him up, but Kirk refuses for now. He is counting on Mud, Mud's silver tongue to keep him alive until an opportunity presents itself. In Ravia's HQ, she has Mud hanging upside down, and getting, and she's getting ready to start the torture. Being averse to pain, Mud agrees that he values his life more than the Jahala. She says if Kirk will trade Mud for the Jahalla, Harry may come out of this alive. Ravia calls up to Kirk with the offer, but Kirk says he does not have the jahala. Shiloh tells Spock that she's got it. Spock asks Kirk for a word in private. Now that Kirk sees the jahala, he knows he has another chip to play. The Sala demands to talk to Kirk, so they open up a channel. The Sala says he monitored Kirk's conversation with Ravia, and he wants the jahala, or he will destroy the Enterprise. Kirk continues to say he does not have it and goes on to suggest that maybe Rivia has had it all along and just used its fictional theft as bait to bring him here where she could destroy him. Sala scoffs and states Rivia is not that clever but he ends the call with something to think about. Immediately after the contact is broken Chekhov reports another Nazgul ship is entering sensor range. It's a smaller ship than the Nazguls and is commanded by Brigadier Menick. Revelations begin falling like raindrops as Menick extends his hand in peace to Kirk. He introduces Federation Ambassador Ajami, who has been in secret meetings with elements of the Nazgul government that are seeking to take back control of the government from the Nazgul Velagro, who illegally seized it. The lawful Sala named Watan is the next person introduced to Kirk. He says Vilagro's criminal rampage will end as they are there to arrest him and bring him home for trial. The smaller Nazgul ship is fired upon by Sala Velagro's ship while he's stating no false Sala will usurp my power. The smaller ship proves it is well-shielded and well-armed, as its counterattack severely damages Sala Villagro's larger ship. As the Sala pleads with his sister for help, and promises they could rule the Nazgul worlds together, Ravia laughs and says she hopes he burns. As smoke is billowing on his bridge, one of his bridge officers is transported away from his burning ship and onto the smaller craft. It turns out his name is Dav, and he was an agent placed in Sala midst to help engineer his capture. With the Sala's ship in flames, Kirk lowers the shields and beams Mud away from Ravia's clutches, just as she was about to kill him, as the only silver lining to an otherwise terrible day. The revelations keep coming in, as now a Klingon battlecruiser has just entered sensor range. It's Commodore Kesri who opens a channel to the Enterprise. Kirk states he knows of Klingon elements that are selling weapons to troublemakers on Skellen III. So if this is a prelude to a Klingon incursion, Kesri breaks in and says there is no such desire by the Empire. This is the work of a relatively small group of Klingons that are making alliances with multiple criminal elements to gain power and carry forward their agenda of a more aggressive stance with the Federation. He goes on to say, We have captured all of those elements except for one more member, a Starfleet admiral named Tomlinson. da Kirk is shocked and tells Kesri he will take care of Tomlinson. Captain's log states that Kesri has persuaded Ravia to return the stolen weapons. Ravia and her circle, now without arms, say they will depart from the Skellen system within three hours. Maria Martinez and her mining colony will resume normal mining operations. In sickbay, Shiloh throws her arms around Harry, who was wearing a neck brace from his head-first arrival on the Enterprise transporter pad. McCoy tells Kirk that mud can be discharged in about a week, which is when he can be shown off the ship. Kirk asks McCoy to do what he can to accelerate Harry's healing. The end. Woo! That was a long one. That was a long one. Now, don't you think
0: that was a little light on the punishment as far as Harry and and Shiloh? I mean, they they were robbing somebody. Yeah. You,
1: you would th- I mean, yeah. I know that it's
0: not Federation space, but
1: still. Well, yeah, okay, so... It is in Federation space, so they have no jurisdiction. If it wasn't for Mud, this is extenuating circumstances. Time. If it wasn't for Mud, Kirk and Company wouldn't have known about the Klingon plans with Rivia. So yeah, I get that. that was good. So they don't have jurisdiction. They ended up helping it out, helping everybody out in the end. And yeah, they 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 stole stuff, but they stole stuff from the Salah's sister. I mean, it's like, bah, who turns out to be a real piece of work herself. So I don't know. I I agree with you. I mean, they did break laws, but you know, it is isn't Federation space. Uh, I guess. I agree. I agree. To some degree, but yeah. Anyways. So, Ahura um, is becoming quite the Renaissance woman, isn't she? <laughs> she's she's the computer fix it. Well, yeah. Okay, yeah. So she's got her traditional communications wizardry role. And now she's a, a computer hacker. Yeah. Um And and in addition to being a famous fan dancer, she's also a Vulcan Lyra player. <laughs> that's pretty good. She's like all over the map these days. Yeah. I guess she's been on the ship for a while, you know, not dating anybody. So.
0: Oh, that's she's cold. She's had time.
1: She's had time. What? Why? What? 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 <laughs> Nothing. I mean, they're all they're all commanders. You know what I Everybody's a stinking commander. How many commanders do you need on a ship? Well, that's just it. They don't need that many. No.
0: But you know they have them because we've seen enough Star Trek. (laughs) And once you get on the Enterprise, you never
1: leave. (laughs) Unless you leave horizontally.
0: Well, I mean, there's... Spock's a captain. Kirk's a captain. Yep. Yep. I mean, why do you need two captains on
1: a ship? You don't. Damn it! But because Kirk and company are that good, they let him do it. Spread some of his I... talent around a little bit.
0: <laughs> anyway. Well, I mean, I guess Spock did just come back from the dead, so maybe they're like, yeah, well, maybe we're not too sure that he should still be captain, but still, <laughs> perhaps. Anyways, so what do you think about this story? The this is
1: obviously the the end of the story. Um, I, I liked it. It was light, you know. It wasn't too serious. But again, in the end, you find out – I mean, when you – from the first time we saw Sala, and he seemed to be this all-powerful guy that might even have some kind of mental powers to kill people. Right. To now finding out he wasn't even the legal ruler of the uh, (laughs) – The people. Of uh, of the Nazgul. So it was like, oh, man. And you can be taken out by one little ship. Must have been a darn good ship. Yeah, Um, it was like the – it was like and, a defiant. And,
0: I mean, was he, was that, that, that amb- the guy that the ambassador was with, he was supposed to be the new Nazgul? Was, is that what they were saying?
1: Yeah, the third guy. Yeah. So first was the brigadier who's extending a hand in peace. It's like, what? From a Nazgul? <laughs> and and then you see a, uh, a Federation ambassador who's been meeting in secret for, for a long time. With the Nazgul, it's like, oh, huh? and then like, oh, by the way, if your mind isn't blown enough already, here's the, here's the rightful Nazgul. It's like, what? Huh? Wow. <laughs> uh, it, it, it just bam, bam, bam. And then you get the, uh, and then you get the Klingons you know, after your mind's blown with all that. Then you got the Klingons coming in and then saying they've got a rogue element of theirs. And then Tomlinson is like, oh my God, everything's happening too fast. Poor Tomlinson; he just gets thrown under the bus. Yeah, isn't it great? He's a jerk. <laughs> so, so in the coming issues, I mean, I certainly hope they're not just going to drop it. I mean, in the coming issues, are we going to see the details of how Kirk gets Tomlinson? I, I don't remember, but I'm I'm assuming yes. I hope so. Oh, I hope so too. Because that would be that'd be sweet. I mean, especially if they don't just come back and say, "Hey, the Klingons say you're a spy," but they somehow trap him. You know, Mission Impossible kind of thing, you know. A guy pulls off a rubber mask and it's actually Kirk underneath and stuff. It's cool. I, oh, let's I, hope they don't I, do I want to see something like that. Let's hope they don't do that. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. So. Um, I always
0: hated the rubber mask on Mission Impossible. <laughs> it was the one piece of gadgetry that I always thought, really, this the, would never work.
1: Yeah. It's like on Wild Wild West, we would always pull out like plastic explosive out of his heel. And it's like. He didn't have plastic explosive back then. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then this the superhuman life-like uh, masking, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. We still know that kind of crap. What are you talking about? <laughs> exactly. All
0: right. So, uh, just uh, real quick, notice on the cover that uh, Mud looks like Cybok with the you know the hood <laughs> and the big full beard, right. and yet in in the comic itself, he still only has the mustache and the goatee. Right. Good point. And I like that scene where the uh, uh, what was her name? Rivia Re- was grabbing on uh, Mud's mustache when she was kind of torturing him. Oh yeah, that right, actually right. looked painful. I was like, ooh, she
1: needs <laughs> business. Do you still have a mustache? Yes. Okay. And so and, and it would be quite painful if someone starts yanking on it. It would be. I mean, he's got a, he's got a big old mustache too. There's plenty to grab there. Right. Anyways, enough about facial hair. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs>
0: uh,
1: magic flute, what do you think? It's Yeah. Well, at least there's electronics in it that, that's doing it. I mean, if they were just going to say, ooh, Ravia just has you know, is a really good flute player that can put things to sleep. It's you like, mean that Shiloh? Would be, oh, Shiloh. So, sorry, Shiloh. Uh, it'd be like, BS, BS. But at least there's some electronics in there. So it's like, okay, maybe. Well, what I want to throw BS on is
0: Scotty being the stupidest person in the world, knowing that she's a con artist, knowing that she's in league with Mud. When he hears her playing the flute out in the hallway, he's like, oh, well, come on inside. We're just running some diagnostics, but we would love to listen to you play some music. Right. And then she brainwashes them all and and puts them all to sleep. Nobody's that stupid.
1: (laughs) But... But she was playing a Celtic flute <laughs> lyric, something. Who cares? <laughs> well, he, he, he's so hopelessly Celtic. It's like, yeah. Uh. Uh, I guess, but uh, that, uh, that no, was I the think, one part I that I was like, I, I
0: get it. You have to have her control the. You got to get them in control of the transporter r- room. Yeah, they got to get off the ship. But uh, that was, I thought, really
1: unfortunate way to do it. <laughs> Uh, it's not only weak, it's unfortunate. It's unfortunately weak. <laughs> I was trying not to be over, overly critical. <laughs> I, I I was okay with it. It's like, well whatever, the guy get off the ship. Finds a good way as any, I suppose. But, you know, we, we, we kind of talked about Mud getting
0: off easy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he lies, straight out lies to Kirk and everybody else about not having anything to do with that relic being stolen. You know, when they asked him, he's like, "Well, you know, I don't ever get involved in religious things." (laughs) You know, and and you know, at the very least, he would be you know tried for you know uh, impeding the uh, investigation, right? So I don't think he would. You know, he shouldn't be able to just leave and muddle around somewhere else. Anyways. I, I I just I don't know. I don't like to see him get away. I guess maybe that's why I don't like his character. Cuz it's basically he's the bad guy and yet at the end of every episode he gets away with just a little slap on the hand or some comedic little one-liner.
1: Mm. True. Well, you just take things too seriously, man. I'll tell I know.
0: You. I I want Kirby I I want to see <laughs> on a planet somewhere. <laughs> and we never preferably see
1: underground so he will never see the light of day.
0: No, I also don't like it when Kirk does stuff like that. As punishment, I'm just going to
1: abandon these people on a planet, said Alpha Five. Exactly, and you see how that comes back to haunt you, Kirk. Right. So he left. Yeah, so he left mud on the planet of the robots with multiple copies of his ex-wife. Is that what it was? I think that was it.
0: Yeah, see, I, I don't really remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I really don't watch those mud episodes just because you don't like them. I don't like them. I will usually, if 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 they're on reruns or something, I'll usually turn it off.
1: No, oh. nah, oh well. Sorry, not not my number one type of track episodes, but I, I, I'm fine with them. Which
0: I find it funny because you know he, you know when Roddenberry wrote the three pilots, or he wrote two of the pilots, and and uh, Simon, what's his name, wrote the third pilot. I mean that mud episode was one of the ones he thought was good enough to be a pilot episode. Mud's Women or Yeah. Right. And you're just like, "Really? That was what you want to sell your show on?" Yeah. I- I'm well, glad, you know, somebody yeah. <laughs> talked him out of it.
1: Well, it's kind of like the the George Lucas prequels thing. It's like most kind of uh, creative efforts like like making a movie, TV show, whatever. Great to have a, a decision maker. You, you need that, a guiding force and stuff, but it's got to be a cooperative effort here. So because Roddenberry wasn't all powerful, probably, they went with what probably more people thought were the better script, which was the one by Peoples. Right. Where a lot of decisions that happened on the prequel Star Wars prequels, were just like Yes, George. Whatever you want. Great idea, George. Great idea.
0: Well, and that's why you know a lot of people say Empire Strikes Back is the best of the out of all of them. Because that's what I say he wrote it, but he didn't direct it. You know, so I mean, yeah, it was his baby, and and it was out there, but he wasn't the one that actually, you know, edited it and fine tuned it and right. finished it. And and I agree that that's one of my favorites, yep, if not my favorite.
1: Yeah, Kershner did a good job. I get what you're saying. Yeah, so apparently somebody said, hey, you know what? Maybe not a good idea. Let's (laughs) go with that one. But let's make like four or five Mud
0: episodes. We like him, Gene. We like this character. We'll bring him back about four or five times. But he's not pilot material.
1: (laughs) No. Well, okay, hold on. So they had two episodes, right? Was it two? And then he was in one of the animated series. Oh, okay. I've never seen that. Okay. And then how many comic books?
0: Uh, these three, the one comic strip, and then those two from volume one. So, I think that's his only appearances in the comic books, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah. I'm sure somebody out there will call me on it. Well, apparently he was a a popular enough character that he's been in uh, multiple things. Oh,
0: I mean, he's definitely a popular character. He was even in a video game. Oh,
1: really? Which one?
0: Uh, I think it was the Game Boy one. (laughs) For the the twenty fifth anniversary, I I might be wrong. Oh, I never actually uh, played it, but I think I read the synopsis of the game somewhere. Cool. Anyways, let's uh, let's keep going on. We're going a little long here. We are. You know, you were talking about Ahura being the uh, jack of all trades. I thought her musical playing and her conversation with
1: Sulu on page thirteen just seemed to be filler. It, it was filler, but it but it, it did it served a purpose, but they and probably what was the purpose? Uh, that's how mud found out that reveal oh uh,
0: that's right because he was hiding behind the plant right <laughs> <'Cause>
1: <laughs> which it, is w- awesome w- w- when I was first reading when I was first reading that, it's like what the hell is this about? I mean is this an excuse to uh you know have Sulu say something or or show a hurrah you know w- with the Vulcan liar? I mean like and then, then, then he sticks his face through the bushes <laughs> in, in in the in the, the the rec room area, whatever that was. Um, yeah, so that was the purpose of it. it just, yeah,
0: uh, I guess so. I, I guess, I
1: guess that's. I guess if you have a forty page extravaganza, you got to fill it somehow, and all be winners.
0: All right, my last comment is: I' talking bad about Mudd's character, but I do like how they kind of. Show him in a favorable light that he's doing this for somewhat unselfish reasons. He wants Shiloh to go to medical school, and this is his way of doing it, his big last score.
1: Well, and to give him retirement. But yeah, he's a lot more – less selfish than we've ever seen him before Right. in this one. And that is what was kind of annoying me (laughs) because like we said uh, when we were talking about the second issue – You know, it was kind of like I was expecting them to be trying to, you know, mess each other over. Right, right. As as two con men that are going to, you know, end up conning each other. But no, they didn't go that path at all. Uh, It was all just uh, lilacs and daffodils. It was just, uh, everybody's so nice. Yeah, like
0: I said, I I, I wanted him to be all like, I'm doing this for her. Right. You know, I'm going to be taken care of, but I'm doing, you know, I want her to be taken care of and then her him over at the end. Right. But she didn't. Yep. Everybody's nice.
1: Yeah. She's nice. She, she comes clean and it all works out. Even Kirk at one point admits he doesn't mind having that big log mud around as long as it isn't too frequently.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyways, what else you got on this one? I don't have anything else. That's it. So uh, we didn't synopsize it, but this story ended in like a couple of essays by uh, Peter David, Michael Jen Friedman, Chris Claremont, and uh, Howard Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it had like eight pictures of uh, just pinups. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to go through them, but out of the pinups, didn't you find it odd that Amok Time was referenced quite a few times? Yeah. Yeah, that was odd. So, I mean, I guess, you know, in comic books, you always want to see Batman and Superman fighting, even though it doesn't really make sense. <laughs> uh, I guess, you know, that's the closest you ever got in Star Trek, where Spock kills Kirk.
1: Right. And, yeah. and that and that does look kind of cool, because that is what they do. That's one of the things they depict, is Kirk on the ground, and Spock's got him by the throat with uh, straps or whatever. Right, and then there's another
0: one where Kirk's dead on the ground, and Spock's like standing on him.
1: Right. Yeah, and and you actually see blood. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know that that little swipe across the chest that that Kirk gets, it's pretty it's pretty bloody in that in that little uh, painting. Right.
0: So, anybody who wants to look them up, I highly recommend you getting this book. You can usually get it for like. A quarter or less than huh. a buck, so just, uh, you know, for being a 40-page extravaganza,
1: it's, it's it's worth the money. It is. It, it's kind of nice. And they got the 25-year 25, 25 painting that has both uh, next-gen and original track characters.
0: Yeah, I don't remember how the – I know that the next-gen book that came out this time has something kind of like that at the end too, so I right. guess we'll cover that next week. I don't remember if they have pinups or not, though. But it's a, it's a long long story. Right. So, as always, we usually go through the Expanded Universe stuff. Uh, this, this three months, August through October of 91, there was only two novels that came out. And they're both by authors that we both like. So, in August, uh, a book called Legacy, based on the original series by Michael Jan Friedman. And in this one, it's a original series story, so Kirk era. But Spock is confronting a foe that he and Pike once had to deal with. So there's a lot of flashbacks between, you know, what Spock and Pike had to do to this guy versus what Kirk and Spock are doing now, kind of thing. So well,
1: that sounds interesting.
0: Yeah, it, it it does sound interesting. It's one of the ones I have waiting to be read. So one of these days I'll get to it. But uh, it, it sounds good. And then in October there was a next generation novel called Q in Law by Peter David, <laughs> and uh, I have read this one. And this one, um, Q and L- Luxana Troy actually
1: hook up and are going to get married. <laughs> oh God! I swear she just ends up with everybody at one point or another. It's it's you know it's it's
0: Peter David it's it's Luxana Troy and it's Q so. All three of those things factored in, it is really funny.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. They're going for the humor,
0: right? I mean, because you know Peter David likes the humor, and in every episode of Q and looks on a Troy episode of Next Gen, there's usually a, a comedic e- element to it, so it, it works well. I, I recommend you uh, reading the book, or I think it's actually out on audiobook. I think I, I think I had the audio tape at one point, uh, so. If you haven't read it, anybody listening, give it a look. Cool. All right, so next week we're going to do um, episode or issue number 10, 11, and 12 of The Next Gen. Very good. So, any closing words, or did I cut you off at all? No, you didn't cut me off. Okay, good. No. All right, then. Well, then, with that, I guess we should just close it up and
1: say, talk to you next week sounds good thanks everybody for joining and for us the next episode we record will be in, in a new year so looking forward to uh, another calendar year of Star Trek adventures yay mm. see ya bye thank you for listening to Star Trek comic book review all Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated all music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only you can email us at star t comic book review at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name st comic second name book review. See you next time on Star Trek comic book review. Just get the hell out of here.